So my name is Stephen. I'm an elder here, and we're, we are indeed starting a new series this Sunday called I Can't Believe It's November. Um, actually, no, we're talking about the Psalms, as Al said. And today's message is kind of a two-part message because I'm going to set up the Psalms and what they are, what they are about. But, and I'm specifically going to talk about Psalms of Lament, as Al said But this is something where I'm going to set up the structure to make it easier for you to read, more insightful for you to read, hopefully. But it's something you really need to read on your own to get the full impact. That's why we've left the little bookmarks on your seats so that you can read during the week. Jan will write a 10 minutes with God that goes through these so you can just listen today. But it's really important to understand these psalms, to read them on your own in their entirety as a unit. So I hope that you're able to do that. Now, the book of Psalms is in the Old Testament, and it really is a book of Hebrew poems that are sung as worship songs. They were sung in the day. They are sung by some churches today directly as they're written. They are written in the style of poetry, which was common in Hebrew in the day, right? So they are poems, and sometimes it's good to understand that the way people express things in poem changes across time. In fact, I would say even our poets today have very different ways of expressing things. When I was in high school, and I would say probably today, my two favorite poets were Emily Dickinson and E.E. Cummings. I liked Emily Dickinson because she was really good at giving those dark emotions. My two favorite poems of hers are number one, I like a look of agony because I know it's true. And number two, I heard a fly buzz when I died, right? So she's not exactly a super upbeat, peppy poet, but she is really good at describing those things in life that are sad. The other... The other um, poet that was my favorite was E.E. Cummings, because he was very experimental. In fact, my favorite poem by E.E. Cummings, I've got a picture of it there. Absolutely love that poem. And when I sent it to my wife and said, could you, because she does these slides, could you put it into the slide? She said, sure, what on earth is he trying to say? And what this is saying, using language and punctuation and crazy ways of breaking up the words, it is describing what it's like to watch a grasshopper jump. Because if you've ever seen that, they look like an insect, and then when they jump, they are this whirling dervish of legs and wings and antenna, and it doesn't, you can't focus on them because every part of their body is in motion, and then they rearrange and come back down, and they're a grasshopper again. So that's what this poem is describing, and I think it does it very well, but... Imagine someone reading this 2,000 years from now in a different language. It'd be like, what What is this? I'm supposed to get insight from this? It'd be very hard to translate. Just saying that poetry is sometimes different. Now, the Psalms are much more understandable than this, but it is good to keep in mind that these poems, these psalms, use these songs, use conventions that were around when the Hebrews were writing poems thousands of years ago. One of the things they used is repetition. They repeat things to give it emphasis because poems are not about conveying facts as much as they are about conveying emotions and feelings about something, right? That's what the poetic form is. The very, for example, the very first psalm starts with, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, 
nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And some of you may be sitting there going, I got it the first time. Yeah, I get it, I get it. But remember, these are poems to convey emotion. We use this in our poems today. We use repetition to talk about emotion. For example, if you heard a poem that was talking about somebody having eyes that were the color of a meadow on a sunny day after a week full of rain, eyes that were green like an emerald sparkling against a dirty cloth you would know that these eyes are having some kind of impact on a person, that they belong to a person who's very important to the poet. If I was the one saying it, you would know that the person I'm talking about is very important to me, and it is. Larry Gents has always been (laughs) super important to me, and so I want to emphasize that by repetition. Um, Now, we would do this in a poem. We wouldn't do it in, say, a police report, right? Because in a police report, we only want the facts. We would only be saying... The suspect, Mr. Jens, is 5'11", he's got brown hair, green eyes, and is so nice he's got to be hiding something. Nobody is really that nice, right? But no, you would only describe the eyes one time because the purpose of police report is different than the purpose of poetry, which is to describe emotion in all the Psalms are kind of describing an emotion, a feeling, a characteristic of God that brings about an emotion or a feeling in the poet. They also use a lot of imagery. The Psalms use a lot of imagery. When I spoke uh, about a month ago, I talked about how my very favorite Psalm is Psalm 23 that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And now those of you who know me well would know this has to be imagery because I'm not nature guy, right? All you guys that love camping, I am not nature guy. If I am lying down in a green pasture, all I am thinking about is I am a clear shot for the mountain lion, right? I am not like, oh, isn't this relaxing? No, that's not me. But the image of God being my shepherd and protecting the sheep is a very nice image. The Psalms are full of imagery, and that's something to remember when you're reading that. Their imagery, sometimes they're remembering concrete events, but it's about the feeling, the characteristics of God. It's why it's being presented in the Psalms. And much like worship songs today, this is something I think is really important to remember when you're reading these psalms. They are talking about the characteristics of God sort of in general, not making a promise about what he will do in every specific situation, maybe in your situation. They are celebrating that God has the power to heal disease, but it doesn't mean that in your particular case, he will always heal. We have plenty of examples in the Bible where God intervenes miraculously, and we have examples where he does not. These psalms are talking about the character of God. They are celebrating the character of God. And I feel like, as I said, God has the power to right earthly wrongs, but he doesn't always do it. And there are lots of verses in the Bible that give examples and explain why on that. So as you're reading through the psalms this week and maybe in the following weeks, remember, these are celebrating the character of God, not a particular promise about how God will deal with a particular situation. Now, as we start talking about the psalms, I want to also say that I am not a theologian by any stretch of the imagination. I am a math nerd that has a job, right? But so for this week, when I decided, uh, when I said I would lead or do a sermon on the Psalms of Lament, I knew and needed some help. 
So I went to a book called How to Read the Psalms by Tremper Longman III. It's a really great book. I really like that book. I will be borrowing heavily from him because saying stealing sounds worse. I will be borrowing heavily from Dr. Longman talking about the structure. Because while it was very consistent with what I thought I was reading in the Psalms, I wouldn't have thought to put it together exactly this way. And so I think his way of putting it together is really helpful. And he says that the Psalms can be divided into seven seven different genres or types, seven different types. So here they are. They're listed for you. They're hymns and psalms of remembrance, psalms of wisdom, psalms of kingship, talking about God's kingship, psalms of thanksgiving, And today, I'm going to be talking specifically about the Psalms of Lament. So, when I knew I was talking about this, I said, I think I know what lament means. I'm 90% sure I'm what lament means. I know what lament means. And you may not know this, but I'm a competitive person, but if you look at me, you can probably tell it's not in athletics. (laughs) I'm more competitive and mind stuff. So I was always the type of student who wanted to get an A plus, not an A minus. So 90% wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to look up what lament means. And what it means is it is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And the synonyms that I found were wail, wailing, moan, moaning, weeping, crying, and sob. You can almost imagine Emily Dickinson doing like this when she gets to read a psalm of lament. Psalms of lament are passionate expressions of grief or sorrow. Okay. So what does this mean specifically for the psalms in the Bible, the psalms that are talking about lament? What does it mean? So I'm again borrowing from Dr. Longman where he says, the lament is the psalmist's cry when, in great distress, he has nowhere to turn but to God. And we discover three types of, three types of complaints as we read through the laments. One is the psalmist may be troubled by his own words or actions. Another is, he may complain about the, other, the action of others against him, which we're going to call, the, he calls the enemies. Or, and this is to me the absolutely amazing part, he may be frustrated by God himself. Before we actually get into the individual Psalms of Lament, I wanted to talk about this idea that the God who created us the God who made us, the God who loved us enough to send his son to die in our stead, says we can come to him with a complaint. That was amazing to me. It made me think a lot about my role as a parent. My role as a parent. Because as parents, we want our children to be able to come to us when they're sad, when other people have done them wrong. And we even want them to be able to talk to us when they're saying, this isn't fair. This seems unfair. Why are you doing this? We want them to feel free to do that. And I, I, I thought about this and wondered, you know, how, how, do we, how do we model this? And isn't it amazing that God models this? 
And I thought about my own desires as a parent and how they're probably influenced a little bit by television, as all of us are in here. So I started thinking about, okay, if my, my idea of, besides, of course, my parents, if my idea was influenced by TV, who was my TV influence on what a perfect dad, what the ideal dad would be? I'm just slightly too old for it to be Cosby, because that was when I was in high school. I'm thankfully too young for it to be Father Knows Best, okay? If any of you were thinking Father Knows Best, that's not good. But I've got one that I think that the Greens will maybe join me on. My ideal father when I was growing up and watching TV was Howard Cunningham from Happy Days. I have an example here of Howard and Eric. sick, Well, it must have been something I ate. Probably a salami. You never know what they make salami out of, you know, Dad? Yeah, that's true. Couldn't be that you had too much to drink now, could it? Oh, that's silly. All we had was some beer and teeny-weeny glasses. How many teeny-weeny glasses did you have? Seventy-two. <laughs> I think it's time for some teeny-weeny cups of coffee. Howard, he was, he was awesome. You could come to him with your problems. He wouldn't be mad. I could not find it. I so wanted to get the clip where sweatered, nerdy Howard helped his kids, helped Richie and his friends because some mean college kids had cheated them in poker with a trick deck. And Howard went and through honest poker play, won it back, man. He was such an awesome dad. And this idea that you could come to him even when you've messed up and certainly when other people are making the kids sad, that's something I wanted. And I wanted to be this model. I promised myself when my kids are, when I have kids, I will be the type of father who they can come to me with any problem. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to just be there for them and solve, help solve their problems. And I kept this promise to myself until the first one learned how to talk. And then it all went downhill because this is hard, right? It is hard, even as a human parent, to find that right balance between your children showing you respect, but being able to tell you the truth, right? And not getting upset because you're human. It's very, very difficult to do. And like, I think that the minute that you tell yourself, I'm going to do this well, that's when they come to you with this problem that you get really unhappy about, right? Because it's just hard. And yet here, we see that the God of the universe says, you can come to me when you're sad. You can come to me when you're down. You can come to me when you are frustrated with me. That's amazing. You know, those of you who have heard me speak before know that I talk a lot about the difference between religions, right? I talk about, because people say kind of over and over, the religions, they're all kind of the same on the major stuff. They just differ on the minor stuff. And my opinion is, I don't think so. I think they're the same on the minor stuff and they differ on the major stuff. Like, why are we here? What is the point of our existence? What are we to do? What happens after we die? What is the How do we interpret the fact that we have pain? They all give to me very different answers. Like I believe, I'm not an expert on this, I believe in Islam, we show so much respect for Allah, I'm not sure you can approach him with a complaint. I don't think so from what I've read. 
The idea is God is worth so much respect. The law is worth so much respect that you can't approach like that. And in Hinduism, there's this idea of karma where, you know, underlying everything, if you are in a tough situation, well, it's what you earned, right, from a past life. Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, they give different answers about this relationship with God. And I believe that the Bible teaches us that we can come to God when we have complaint, when we're upset, even our frustration with him. Now, as I said today, what I'm doing is trying to make a structure for you so that this week you can read through the Psalms of Lament. I think of it as building sort of like a filing cabinet. You know, we're going to take that middle drawer and put Psalms of Lament in there. When you run across a Psalm of Lament, you're going to make like a hanging file, red hanging file. And in that, you're going to put little manila folders that are the different elements of a Psalm of Lament. So the seven, look at the form that the Psalms of Lament take. Think of these as the little manila folders hanging in each Psalm. The Psalms of Lament contain seven different parts. Do we have the slide? Have that? Yeah, seven different parts. There we go. Um, these are the parts. They don't always happen in this order. The folders aren't always in the same order. And sometimes you bucket some of them together. But the parts are an invocation first, and then a plea to God for help, and then complaints, complaints, raising the complaint. And then we have a confession of sin or assertion of innocence. And then we have, and this is a really hard part for us today, a curse of the enemies called an imprecation. We have confidence. Then we have the psalmist expressing confidence in God's response. And then we have a hymn of of blessing, a hymn or a blessing. And those two, the six and seven, those are often in the same file folder. They're often together. This is not important to memorize. It's just giving you an idea of what the structure is of these psalms of lament. So the first and second parts we'll talk about first, the invocation and the plea to God for help, are often combined into one. They're often combined into one. I have an example here from Psalm 17.1. This is the invocation. It says, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. You can hear in this, maybe in this psalmist, psalmist cry, the earnestness of this. God, I'm coming to you and my cause is just. Hear me for my cause is just. You know, the, this, Dr. Longman says that the Psalms of Lament often have a melancholy mood, and I think that establishes this melancholy mood. So the next thing that we have after the invocation and the plea to God for help is we have the complaint. We have the complaint. And there are three types that we said before of complaints. One is that the psalmist is troubled by their own thoughts or actions. The other is that the psalmist is troubled by the actions of others. And the third, and this is the amazing one to me, is that the psalmist is frustrated by God himself. And actually, sometimes all three of these forms of these complaints can be expressed in the very same psalm. Now, Psalm 42 and 43 um, is thought of as one psalm. 
it's broken up into two in our version of the Bible. Some people say this should be one psalm, and it contains all three types of complaints. The first is first said in verse 42, 5, and it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in, ter- why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again my salvation. This particular verse is repeated three times, kind of like the chorus of a song. It's kind of like you can imagine it being sung as a song. But in this one, the psalmist is saying, why God, why do I doubt? Why do I have doubt? Why is my soul in trouble when I know you will rescue me? This is one type of complaint that you will see in the Psalms of Lament, is a problem that a person has with their own thoughts or actions. And another one you will see is a complaint about others. In Psalm 42, verse 3, it says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? The psalmist is saying people are mocking me for believing in you. People are mocking me and saying, See, why do you believe in God? He's not helping. This is a complaint about others. And we see that over and over in the Psalms of Lament. And the third type of complaint is frustration with God. In Psalm 42, verse 9, it says, I say to God, my rock, why have I, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? That's a pretty big accusation, right? That's a pretty big frustration. God, I'm doing what you say. Why have you forgotten me? This is our God letting us come to him with our frustration in the form of complaint. Now, the next thing that happens in Psalms of Lament is you'll have a confession of sin or a protestation of innocence. So an example here of confession of sin is Psalm 69, verse 5. It says, O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. God, you see it, you see all, and you know that I sin. You know that I do things that you don't want me to do that I know I shouldn't do. This is a confession of sin that you'll see in the Psalms of Lament. And here is an example of the protestation of innocence. He says... I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. That is Psalm 26, verse 5. So we have an invocation for God to help. We have a complaint. And then we have either a confession of sin or a protestation of innocence. And now we're going to come to the part that is really hard for us sometimes to read. And this is called a curse of the enemies or imprecation, a curse of the enemies. And you're like, but wait, but wait, I thought we were told to love our enemies. How can it be in scripture that we're told that we see the psalmist cursing their enemies? Well, let me give an example first. Psalm 3 verse 7 says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. That's one example that they have. The examples can be stronger. So I admit this is like something that's a little difficult, but I'd like to remember again that this is poetry. This is poetry. 
And here's the part where I say my not being a theologian comes into play, because I will tell you something that I understand at least to some extent, but I think it's a little tricky. How God dealt with people before Jesus came and after Jesus came is different. Specifically, how God talked about dealing with people who were outside the fold, outside the fold, people who did not believe in God is quite different in the Old Testament versus the New Testament after Jesus came. The command to love your enemies and to love each other, those were new commands with Jesus to love your enemies. For example, in Matthew 5, this is Jesus talking. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This was a new command that Jesus brought because the way that God told people to um, the way that God interacted with people in the Old Testament and the New Testament was different. He also said in John 13, this is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It was a new command that Jesus brought because Jesus brought salvation for all, Jews, Gentiles, for everyone. So that's the kind of theological answer, but there are also other answers. I I also want to remember that the Psalms are poems that express emotion. They are express emotion. I think when you see this, these are also calls for God's justice. They are calls that say, Lord, I see wickedness going on around me, Bring your justice, bring an end to this injustice. And the people who are causing harm and pain, bring an end to that. And they expressed it in the way that would be expressed in Hebrew poetry thousands of years ago. I find it really interesting when I read through these Psalms that these calls for justice are a call for God to bring his justice. He doesn't say, the psalmist doesn't say, give me a sword that I may smite them, right? He says, God, you bring your justice. I feel like we understand that and we want that. We want that for trafficking today, right? We want God's justice to come and stop the evil and put an end to the evil. This is a way of expressing that they want God's justice to come. So that is the part where he talks about the enemies and wanting God's justice to end, and he will be seen as a curse of the enemies. I personally, when I read this, I don't see this as a contradiction. I see it as poetry and Psalms and that... This is just a call for God's justice. So um, the next part that comes is confidence in the Lord's response. Confidence in God's response. This is where the psalmist says, yeah, I know I'm bringing you a complaint, but I know that you have it handled. Despite the complaint, the psalmist often expresses confidence in the Lord's response. Psalm 3, verse 3 to 4 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. This is saying, God, I know you have this. I know you have this. I have confidence in you beyond the situation that I currently, about which I currently have a lament. 
you will see the psalmist express confidence in the Lord's response. And the last part that you see sometimes, although this can be um, combined with the confidence, is a hymn of praise. These psalms sometimes end with a hymn of praise. For example, in Psalm 54, verses 6 through 7, it says, With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Express confidence in God's sovereignty, in God's love for us. Again, this is not a promise that God works out every situation for every individual. You know, one of the ways I know that these are not promises that God will work out every situation for every individual is because if he did, you wouldn't need a psalm of lament, right? There would be no lament. God has said over and over in the Bible that there will be troubles, that he's with you through the troubles, but that there will be troubles. In fact, Al this morning quoted, this was unplanned, quoted this verse that um, I have, John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We have seen this. This is an expression of an emotion, of emotion, these psalms of lament, expressing to God your sorrow and having confidence in his response. So we've seen how to recognize a psalm of lament, but why are they important? They are important because they teach us that God has big shoulders. We can come to God when we are sad. We can come to God when we think the world is crumbling around us. God has big shoulders and loves us enough to listen to our complaints. Loves us enough that he can take it when we are frustrated with him. I'm going to read some of the Psalms of lament, specifically these frustrations, to let you hear the outpouring, the cry of the soul that comes in these Psalms. Psalm 6, verse 6 to 7 says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. This is bringing a lament before the God of the universe. This is bringing this person's trouble, the psalmist's trouble to God. Let me read another one that's even, to me, is even more passionate This is talking about God not leading Israel to a military victory. You have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for the slaughter. You have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. Amazing honesty, amazing expression of frustration. God, we are your people. And right now we are a laughingstock among the nations. It's amazing honesty that is being expressed. I'm going to read one more that I, it's also from Psalm 44. This is really bringing a complaint to God. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. 
Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust and our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. You can hear the passion in this psalm. It is an example of the fact that we can turn to God in any situation. It's expressed in Hebrew poetry, but it's an example for us today that we can turn to God in any situation. Even when we are going through very troubled times, he is loving enough to hear our complaints and understands our laments. So why in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, this is New Testament, post-Jesus, it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is all your anxieties, all your frustrations, all your frustrations with yourself, with others, with God. You can come to him with those frustrations. It tells us in Philippians to be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make your requests known unto God. These are those requests. God, I do not understand why my life is going as it is. I loved what Adam said weeks ago about God can give you things that you can't handle alone, Right? We know there is no promise that God will never give you something you can't handle. He might give you something that you can't handle alone, but together with God, you can. These psalms of lament are good to read when you are going through times of trouble. They are good to read to remember that you can talk to God about anything. That is the type of God that he is. Perhaps you're in a place today where you feel overwhelmed and are going through things and feel like, I just don't know. I feel like I try to live correctly and it seems at every turn I'm thwarted, I'm frustrated. God wants you to take that to him. A little later, we're, uh, as we close, we are going to have prayer partners up at the front who will be there to pray with you and they have big shoulders as well. They will be able to pray with you if things are going in a way that you feel like, I don't know how I can get out of this. I feel God has abandoned me. They are there for you. But I encourage you this week, read through 10 minutes with God, read through the Psalms of Lament, and reflect on the fact that you can go to God with any problem, with any issue. Of course, the most important step in our relationship with God, besides knowing that we can go to him for anything, is understanding that God loves us so much that he lets us raise complaints, but he also loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our stead. If you have never taken that step of faith where you ask Jesus to be the permanent solution to your laments, where you ask Jesus to be your savior and to forgive you for your sins, I encourage you, talk to me, talk to Pastor Adam when the service is over, we're happy, or talk to the prayer team, we're happy to talk you through that. And now I'd like to thank you for coming. I'd like to close in prayer and just thank uh, God for what he has provided us. Father, thank you for the Psalms as a whole and for Psalms of lament in general, uh, specifically. We thank you that you're a God with big shoulders who we can turn to whenever things are going wrong. We thank you that we can be honest and cry to you from our heart, from our soul. We thank you for this example in the Psalms. And I pray that during the week, we would turn to you when life begins to feel overwhelming, when we feel like we've done the right thing and are not rewarded for it, when we feel you are far from us. I pray that we would use this example of the lament of the, the laments in the Psalms to grow closer to you and to place our faith in you even more strongly. In Jesus' name, amen.